Thank you, thank you. Little ones, if you're a first grade and below, feel free to head on back to Mr. Clayton Bob and head on off to Children's Church. Everyone else, good morning and welcome. If you don't know me, I am Stuart Redkay. I am the pastor of Family Ministries here at Big Woods Bible Church. A couple weeks ago um, in our weekly staff meeting on Wednesdays, Pastor Tim turned to me and asked if I'd like to preach on May 8th. I said I'd love to. After which we realized it was Mother's Day. Got a little bit more nervous. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I have zero experience being a mother. And I will never get any experience being a mother. But it's okay. God's word is sufficient for all of us. Equipping us and making us complete for every good work, including being a mother. So, even though this may be a uh, less than typical Mother's Day sermon this morning, I hope it is beneficial for all of us. And I think we must acknowledge many of us owe a great debt of gratitude to our mothers and those who raised us. Seeing what my wife has gone through, uh, being a mother to my son, has given me a newfound appreciation for her and for my own mother for putting up with me. But as well, before we go any further, and before coming to God in prayer one more time, um, I do want to address something head on. Mother's Day is not necessarily a joyful day for everyone. There are individuals who struggle with infertility, um, who have lost children, who may have suffered abuse from their own mothers. Although I may not know who you are, you're not alone. We could discuss statistics and more, in that regard. But more significantly, you are not alone. God has not left you alone. He tells us in Hebrews 13.5 that I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is a God that doesn't expect us to just put on a happy face like a mask and go on about our day like nothing is wrong. But a God that we can cast all of our anxieties to because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5.7 I say this not to be flippant or, or, or dismissive but to encourage you, to encourage each one of us when we're struggling, when we're hurt, when we're confused, and so much more. We always have a Heavenly Father we can turn to. Let's turn to him now in prayer. God, thank you. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity and the privilege to worship you. The God of this universe who created it with the word and who sustains it has offered us um, a chance to sing praises to him, and thank you for that. Thank you for your word and the fact that we can look at it and study it and know who you are each and every day, too. God, we thank you for mothers, um, for the love and the, the care that we have received um, from our own mother and mother figures in our lives. And God, I pray for mothers in our homes and our churches that we would love and support them, that we would care for them, we would come alongside them, and God, we pray to you as our Heavenly Father that you would comfort those who find this day hard. You know each individual's and couples and family struggle. So right now we commit them into your care. Comfort them, make yourself known to them, and help us to minister to them well. 
God, let your word and not mine be faithfully proclaimed, that I would handle your word accordingly, that, God, you would heart, calm the hearts and minds of everyone here, including my own, and let us be challenged, convicted, and encouraged by your word this morning. Amen. So we are looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, so I encourage you to turn there now with me. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on it. Ecclesiastes is a biblical wisdom book. It's part of wisdom literature and scripture, and is probably one of the most, uh, you could say, unique books in all of the Bible. It was written by King Solomon, and many scholars think that it was written near the end of his lifetime, and that's going to be kind of evident in today's text. He's looking back upon his life, you could say, and recognizing failures and at times foolishness, which he pursued. And, and this fact is astounding, because when we look at uh, 1 Kings 10.23, we read that King Solomon exceeded all of the kings of the world in riches and in wisdom. So we're reading from the wisest man to ever live, looking back at how he, even he was foolish, how he failed at times. Therefore, I hope to make the case today through Scripture that nothing, absolutely nothing, will satisfy mothers or any of us, fathers, husbands, men, women, young, old, and anyone else we can think of. Because we live in an unsatisfying world. We will only be satisfied. We will only find peace. We will only find contentment through God himself. We're going to be breaking this down as we go through. So um, our first section is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 1 through 11. I encourage you to read with me. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools with which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was the reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon initially approaches life with this kind of an attitude. Let's lighten up. Let's live it up. Let's enjoy ourselves. And he holds himself back from no pleasure. He starts off in verse 2, uh, pursuing laughter and comedy, yet comes to the conclusion of what use is it? 
Alistair Begg says he goes from the comedy club to the bar in verse 3 and pursues alcoholic drinks. First in moderation, how to cheer my body with wine, and then to foolish excess and drunkenness, how to lay hold on folly. Yet, it does not satisfy. He begins expansive building projects for his own enjoyment, but it does not satisfy. He gets a lot of stuff. He he gets slaves, herds of animals, gold, silver, treasures of kings, musicians, and more. Yet, it does not satisfy. He pursues sexual pleasure. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 1 Kings 11.3. Yet, it does not satisfy. In the end, Solomon sees this and recognizes it as an empty pursuit. He considers everything he's done, everything he's pursued, everything he's tried to get a hold of as a vanity. It, it comes from the Hebrew word hebel, which means like trying to grasp vapor or trying to catch smoke. It's a striving after the wind, and nothing was gained by it. Yet this is a temptation for all of us. Mothers, see this is a Mother's Day sermon. Wives, women, don't be deceived by what the world promotes as satisfying. It won't work. Whatever we seek after for satisfaction, apart from God, is ultimately going to be empty. Escapism, or or trying to provide satisfaction to, to get away from our lives, whether it's social media, personal interests, or more, is not going to do it. I came across a a meme in an Atlantic article not too long ago that stated, wine is to moms what duct tape is to dads. It fixes everything. Now, I I recognize. I recognize that is made for the purpose of humor. I recognize it's made for the purpose of jest. But the fact remains that many, mothers, fathers, and more, seek to fix everything, seek satisfaction or the minimum numbness in the bottom of a bottle. Well, guess what? According to Scripture, you won't find it there. And you're not even the first one to try. Men, husbands, fathers, it's no different for you. More time, more money, more more hobbies, more sex, more whatever you can plug into that slot, more of whatever you can imagine, apart from God, is not going to satisfy you. Single individuals, getting married... It's not going to satisfy you. That is too big a burden to put on a future spouse to bear. Only God can do that. Married individuals, same goes for you. Your spouse is not God. They cannot offer what only God can. And further, if you're married, whatever pleasure you think you may get from an adulterous affair is not going to satisfy you. It's only going to bring about heartbreak, pain, and devastation. Youth, don't believe the lie of YOLO. You only live once, so let's live it up. Solomon has already done it. It won't work out. A a new car or phone, boyfriend or girlfriend, game or gaming system is not going to bring you lasting satisfaction. Children, a, a new toy or ice cream cone or whatever that thing you want so badly, it's not going to last. It's going to be gone and forgotten. I think so many of us, not just children, can think to a a, a Christmas present that we wanted so badly for so long. And we may have gotten one Christmas and we're so excited by it. Yet come like 
February 1st, it was forgotten. By the next Christmas, you didn't even remember getting it. Pleasures we get so often don't last. Everyone, materialism and more stuff won't make you happy. It might make you happy, but it's not going to satisfy. It won't give you joy. Americans spend an average of $18,000 a year on luxuries. And they define luxuries as, as meals out, um, Starbucks coffees, and just buying toys and, and stuff. $18,000 a year. And that's not per couple. That's per individual. $18,000 a year per individual. And guess what? We as a society are still miserable so often. It does not satisfy. So point number one, pleasure will not satisfy us. Pleasure will not satisfy us. So Solomon, okay, pleasure won't work. Solomon has another idea. Let's try living wisely instead. This sounds like a much better idea. Let's go with this one. Ecclesiastes 2.12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. This is kind of a weird statement. So in, in, in other words, um, from Daniel Aiken, son, don't try to outdo me because I've already done it. Verses 13 to 17. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the, fool, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because of what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon writes of, of his striving after, okay, let, let, let's live wisely, let's make good decisions, because it is m- more profitable and good, and, and that's accurate. Verse 13, there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. Or verse 14, the wise has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. This is all true. But th- there's a great equalizer between the wise and the foolish. That's pointed out in this passage. That is death. Solomon laments that what will happen to the fool is going to happen to him. The wise die, the foolish die, and everywhere in between, people die. Some of us strive to live wisely and seek for this to give meaning and satisfaction for our lives. Now, now hear me out carefully on this. Living wisely is not a bad thing. That is commendable. We should be doing that. But seeking satisfaction in life, in a, apart from God, in anything, will still fail. Parents, mothers and fathers, wisely guiding your children to maturity, to responsibility, to being upstanding citizens, however you want to phrase it, is a good and noble task given to us by God. Yet when this task takes the place of God... When we seek after wise parenting at the expense of our relationship with him and our focus on him in our life, it will not satisfy us. Older adults, 
your retirement when you get there at the end of your career is not going to satisfy you. Your retirement accounts, your accomplishments, your accolades is not going to give eternal meaning. It's not going to give satisfaction to your life. Younger adults and youth, even if you work hard, be wise, check all the boxes, stay out of trouble, and do everything else that people tell you to do, you will not be satisfied in life apart from God. Wise living solely for the sake of being wise may allow you to live with less self-created problems, but it won't satisfy your heart. Point number two, wisdom will not satisfy us. So, let's forget pleasure and wisdom. What about work? What does Solomon say about work? Ecclesiastes 2, 18 to 23. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. Seeing them as leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is a vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and the striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. That phrasing vanity, a striving after the wind, trying to grab hold of smoke. Ian Provane calls this passage confessions of a workaholic. Solomon looks upon the years and years of massive completed projects and work and so much of what he has done. Even the building of God's temple. Think about that. And realizes that it's meaningless as well. He looks at the fact that someone will likely waste and squander what he has built up. Statistically, this is true. In 60% of cases in the U.S., inherited wealth is generally entirely gone by the second generation. But this passage also indicates something else. That Solomon can't find satisfaction for himself in his own work. He can't be at peace with his own toil. Because in the midst of all that he has accomplished, he just views it as a vexation. A misery, a sorrow, apart from God. Mothers, wives, and women. I know the world puts immense pressure upon you to do it all. To be the perfect housewife, dutiful mother, career-climbing woman. And even if that was all attainable, no matter how many salary raises you get, promotions you're given, or titles you achieve, it's not going to bring you satisfaction. Men, it's no different for you. Your career, your business deals, your accomplishments will taste like ash in your mouth in light of eternity apart from God. It will not satisfy. Youth and college students. Perfect grades and honor rolls, the best universities and scholarships. Coveted internships, professional placements, all of it. It's not going to satisfy you. Even if things go perfect and you even land that lifetime job that you've been dreaming of your entire life, the perfect position, it's not going to satisfy you. 
no matter your accomplishments, it won't last. It's going to be forgotten. It's just, it's not going to have its significance like we think we will. Olympic athletes spend their entire lives training for their event, whatever it may be, 100-yard dash, swim, whatever it is. They devote their life training day in and day out, sometimes 12 to 14 hours a day to achieve this. And even if they do, guess what? Sooner or later, someone breaks that record. Sooner or later, guess what? We just forget about them. I mean, that sounds harsh, but it's true. Who can tell me a single medal winner of the 1996 Olympics? 2000? 2004? Like, maybe this past one. But I, I have a feeling if we start working our way up, pretty much so many of them are forgotten. And if we remember any of them, it's going to be like those one or few people like Usain Bolt who have so many medals, but guess what? Another 20 years, we're all going to forget his name too. Our accomplishments are quickly forgotten, even at the world level. Work will not satisfy us. Third point, work will not satisfy us. And don't be deceived. That the same in- sinful inclination that Solomon had to follow, to run after, to seek satisfaction apart from God is still alive and well within each of us today. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by the next big thing, the next retirement plan, gift, workout program, meal, uh, meal salary raise, spouse, vacation, promotion, shopping trip, self-help technique, Amazon purchase, house project, or even children is going to make all things better and satisfy you. It won't. Solomon has been there and he's done that. If that doesn't prove it to you, look at the society around us. We live in the richest time in world history, in one of the richest nations in world history. We live certainly at the healthiest time in world history, in one of the healthier countries in the world. We certainly live in the most luxurious time in world history, in one of the most luxurious societies, and certainly the most leisurely time in world history, in one of the most leisurely societies. Yet, with all of that facts, we're still so miserable. So where do we go from here? Where does this leave us? Where do we find, where can we seek satisfaction? Are we doomed to a life of misery? I don't think so. Let's look at the next two verses together. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 to 25. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who or who can have enjoyment? Let's break this down a little bit more. Let's start with verse 24. Uh, These kinds of encouragements, enjoy food, enjoy drink, enjoy your work, enjoy your spouse, and more, are actually pretty frequent in the book of Ecclesiastes. They're found in chapter 2 here, in chapter 3, two different times, in chapter 5, in chapter 9. It may seem contradictory to what we've been discussing so far, but we are allowed and even encouraged to enjoy these things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, from Daniel Aiken, in the beginning, God designed the world so that we would enjoy the material blessings he gave us 
as a means to worship him. As we ate, drank, enjoyed our spouse, enjoyed our work, it should give us cause to thank God for his goodness. Now comes verse 25. This is the, the nexus, the connection point of everything in this chapter. If you've been zoning out for the last few minutes, bring it on back. You've you got to pay attention to this part. Don't miss this. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Everything. Everything fails. Everything falls flat. Everything is unsatisfying. Everything is meaningless without God. Apart from God, everything in our lives is going to ring hollow. Apart from God, nothing is going to satisfy us. Apart from God, everything else is a vain pursuit, you could say. Apart from God, the greatest achievements we can ever achieve fade in our minds and lose their meaning. Apart from God, even our wisest moments seem meaningless. Apart from God, the most amazing pleasures we can possibly imagine dim and become like ash. They're blown away in the whirlwind of life. God cannot be forgotten or else we'll be very frustrated and very disappointed with everything in our lives. It is only through God and his plan that our life not only has meaning for the moment, but meaning for eternity. Without God, our lives are reduced to this. You live, or you're born, you live for a bit, you die, and then you're forgotten. If that sounds nihilistic and depressing, it's because it is. Without God, our lives have zero meaning and value, especially for eternity. But with God, our lives can have immense meaning for eternity. With God, we can find enjoyment in life. With God, we can even have peace when life is not enjoyable. Because ultimately, this world is not our home, nor is it our end. With God, we can be satisfied, we can be content, we can be at peace. Philippians 4, 11 through 12. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. That's Paul speaking to the church at Philippi saying that in regardless of the situation, if it's going good or bad, luxury or poverty, plenty or need, he can be satisfied through God. It is only through God we can be satisfied with life. We can seek after any number of millions of different things in this world and maybe get a bit of temporary happiness. But to find peace, joy, and satisfaction, it can only be through God. Two brief points of application to wrap us up. Number one, stop trying to be satisfied with the world. I've kind of beat this drum again and again. So let me lean on the words of Blaise Pascal, a religious philosopher, to wrap this up. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. Since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Pascal is talking about um, this God-sized hole, God-shaped hole in our being. That only God, if I may correct him, an infinite and immutable person, 
can fill. We, we can try to stuff so much stuff in, in that God-shaped hole in our lives. Pleasures, work, wisdom, accomplishments, whatever you want to put there. It's not going to fill it. Solomon desperately tried with all the resources that he had as the king, and it did not work. Stop trying to be satisfied with the world. Rather, thank and glorify God through our pleasures, work, and life. Number two, thank and glorify God through your pleasures, work, and life. Children, seek to honor and thank God for everything in your life because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, James 1.17. Athletes, thank and glorify God in your passion and enjoyment of sports. Showing the light of Christ through your words and your conduct while enjoying the gift he's given you. Students, thank and glorify God in your studies. Enjoy your academic pursuits, but do not forget that you are being used, that you are to be used, to be pursuing God, and through the gifts that he's given you, your mind, preparing yourselves to be used even further as sharp instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. Retirees, thank and glorify God for the time that you now have. Use it for his honoring, whether it's through discipleship and guidance of younger believers, ministering within the church, or simply loving your grandchildren. Enjoy these things and glorify God through them. Men, thank and glorify God. Lead your families in recognizing God's grace, constantly reminding ourselves and instructing our families that although we can enjoy God's gifts, our satisfaction, joy, and peace come from him alone. Women, and particularly mothers, thank and glorify God. From Sharon Betters and Susan Hunt's Aging with Grace, our primary calling is to glorify God. All other callings are extensions of that. Our calling to be a mother or daughter, employer, employee, wife, mother, single mom, widow, old lady, our family calling. To serve others or to suffer is a calling to glorify God in that relationship or circumstance. The venue changes, but the calling remains the same. Often when a woman retires from her vocation or after her children leave the home, she feels useless because her purpose was centered on what she was doing rather than what she was becoming. The calling to glorify God transcends place, time, circumstance, and age. To everyone, I'm just going to borrow that line again. Our primary calling is to glorify God. All other callings are extensions of that. That is the resounding message of Scripture across the board. That we're called to glorify God, find satisfaction in Him, and live life with those as our focus. We do this by submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Not trying to seek satisfaction in the world around us. It's going to fall short. Being transformed by His Holy Spirit and living in a way that reflects Christ as our Savior, our God, our sole focus, and King in whatever we do, wherever we are, no matter how old or young, married or single, whoever we are, we thank and glorify God in our lives. The worship team wants to come back up. I'll pray and wrap us up briefly. God, thank you so much that we can just know you. That we have an opportunity 
every single day to serve, worship, and glorify the God of this universe. I pray that everyone, myself included, would not be misled by the world. That we would not seek satisfaction in in the things that we're not even called to be satisfied in. Things to be enjoyed, yes. But for us to constantly remember that we are called to seek satisfaction in you, God, in you alone. Let us not be misled and live lives that thank and glorify you in every way, in every time, in every circumstance, and in every age. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Stuart. I invite you as we close that you stand with us and we can sing together.